The Digested Read by John Crace Enduring Love by Ian McEwan The beginning is simple to mark. Clarissa, me, a picnic, a shout. What idiocy to be racing into this story! Knowing what I know now, it's hard to evoke the figure of Jed Parry, running, like me, towards the child in the hot air balloon. I'm holding back, delaying the moment in a virtuoso display of literary knowingness. Clarissa and I had enjoyed a childless marriage in our Art Deco London flat, and the picnic was to mark her return from America where she had been researching Keats. She called me her complicated simpleton. Really, I was just a simple complication. I reached the urine-stained basket. Parry, along with two men whom I later knew to be Lacey and Logan, caught up. And for a while we steadied it. Then the wind caught the balloon and it began to lift. I do not know who was first to let go, but Logan was left hanging before falling three hundred feet to the field below. The beginning is an artifice. It always is. I could have started somewhere else. Breakfast, perhaps. But how else do you posit extreme moral choices in the most improbable way? I ran down the hill. It was all downhill after that dramatic opening and urinated strongly to demonstrate my usual forensic attention to bodily functions. The skeletal structure had collapsed, and I told Parry there was nothing we could do. We could pray, he said. There's no one up there, I replied. Clarissa and I tried to make sense of the day's events. She whispered Miltonian sweet nothings as she caressed my balls before I reasserted my mammalian selfishness by making love to her with my Darwinian prowess. You're such a rationalist, Joe, she cried. I love you more than ever. The phone rang and I recognised Parry's voice whispering, I love you, to me. Wrong number. I told Clarissa. Why did I lie? Who knows? I made my way to the London Library to study neural activity in the amygdala, of which there would be precious little if I continued with such overwrought divisions between the spiritual and the rational. I spotted Parry stalking me and returned home to find several love letters. I eventually told Clarissa about Parry, she dismissed me as a fantasist, and our lovemaking became more perfunctory, though never less than brilliant on my part. As I left the house, lamenting that I had failed to win the Nobel Prize for Physics and was working instead as a hack for UFO Today, I was followed by Parry. God loves you, I love you, and you love me, he said. The police were as uninterested in his harassment as Clarissa. If we take it seriously, the officer pointed out, there's no chance for you to explore the lacunae of psychosis or the dualist split between religion and science. Let's look at things from Clarissa's perspective. 
Not because it's enlightening, but because it's cute. She doesn't believe him. She uses the present tense. She's a cipher. That's enough. Dear Joe, I still love you. Thanks for loving me. Yours, Jed. Kissy, kissy. Why are you writing to yourself? Clarissa asked for no good reason. For the same reason I've ransacked your desk looking for evidence of an imaginary lover I know you don't have, I cried. Because we are drifting apart and our love is not enduring. I visited Logan's widow and, after I lectured her children on moral relativism, she told me of her fears that her husband had been with a mistress on the day of the accident. A thought flashed through my hippocampus. Parry was suffering from de Clarembault's syndrome, a homoerotic psychosis that no one but me had ever heard of. He was lost in a solipsism equal to my own. God, I was clever. It was Clarissa's birthday, and despite the unenduring nature of our love, she perked up when I gave her a first edition of Keats' love poetry. And as we ate our lime sorbets, a masked gunman burst in and shot the man sitting next to us. I saw Parry stop the gunman and then rush out. I was eating an apple sorbet, I told the police. He meant to kill me. Parry stopped him when he shot the wrong man. Why did I lie to the police about the sorbet? To demonstrate the unreliability of memory? We still don't believe you, the officer answered. The victim was an MP who's been a target before. I compounded this improbability by arranging to buy a gun from some hippies in Sussex. I'd stick to writing about things you know about, they shouted as I left. Clarissa rang. Parry's taken me hostage. I drove home to find Parry wielding a penknife. Forgive me, darling, he cried, putting the blade to his throat. I could no longer endure his love. I pulled out the gun and skillfully shot him in the arm to prevent him killing himself. Dear Joe, you were right, but you were wrong too, Clarissa. Your husband wasn't having an affair, I said to Logan's widow, introducing an Oxford don and his student mistress with a deus ex machina flourish. He had given them a lift instead. So, she replied, my love wasn't very enduring. No, I agreed, but at least I've wrapped up all the loose ends. Appendix. Here's some clever clogs trickery about de Clarembault's syndrome that some might read as a journal reference. What laughs? Oh, and J and C got back together and adopted a child which is nice.